in 1862, Victor Hugo uh, wrote a beautiful novel that became a classic and was turned into many movies and musicals, called Les Miserables, or affectionately called Les Mis. It's uh, set in 19th century France. A convict, Valjean, is released from prison after having served 19 years for stealing bread for his starving uh, sister's kid. He comes to the village of Digne and he is looking for shelter. But because he's an ex-convict, nobody would give him shelter. So in desperation, he knocks at the door of Monseigneur Myriel, the kindly bishop of the town. The bishop lets him in, he gives him shelter and food and cares for him. In return, Jean Valjean steals his silverware and takes off. The police arrests him and brings him back to Bishop Myriel. The bishop, instead of giving Valjean his deserved punishment and throwing him into prison, he covers for him. And he claims that the silverware that Valjean stole was a gift. And not only that, on top of it, he gives him more silverware and he sends him off. This touch of mercy on Jean Valjean's life changed his life and started, got in motion this beautiful story of redemption. Has any of you seen the movie or read the book? Yeah. If you haven't, please do. This is such a beautiful story of mercy. A character quality that is so outrageous, so undeserved and so unexpected. Mercy happens when judgment could be administered, but instead is withheld. When compassion is extended to the undeserving. This morning I want to highlight the scandalous mercy of God. I pray that we will stand in awe of this incredible and undeserved radical gift of God to each one of us. I pray that it will draw us to our knees in wonder and gratitude. It really is impossible to exaggerate the extravagance of God's mercy. Mercy really comes as a shock when we contemplate on one side the holiness of God and the, on the other side the horror of our sin. It really blows our mind. So please permit scripture this morning, the history of God's merciful redemption to give you a fresh glimpse into this beautiful and radical attitude of God, this ancient word, mercy. The dictionary defines mercy as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. The English word mercy derives from the Latin merced, 
to get Mercedes from, which means prize paid. So it has this connotation of forgiveness and of benevolence and kindness, of giving what one does not deserve. Several Hebrew words are translated into our English word mercy. And uh, remember that these are all related. We can cut them uh, apart. They're all related. The root is raham in Hebrew. Um, that's how it's written in Hebrew. Uh, but there's other words like henan, for example, that is translated into mercy, which talks more about the pity, the grace of God. And then an important word, hesed, is God's faithful covenant love that's often also translated into mercy or loving kindness in, in English. Thankfully, scripture gives us wonderful parables and images and metaphors to wrap our heads around these amazing concepts. And this morning, I'd like to highlight three aspects of mercy from scripture. Mercy protects, mercy forgives, and mercy acts. So let's first look at how mercy protects. I was fascinated to learn that the word raham, compassion or mercy, is derived from the Hebrew word rechem, which means womb. The womb of the mother is where a child grows from conception until birth. The mother nourishes the child with her blood. And God's mercy is very closely tied to this concept of mother love, of womb love. That love that the mother instinctively has for her unborn child. It is really remarkable how all of scripture is soaked in mercy from the very beginning of God's redemptive story. It appears about 300 times in the Old Testament and about 50 times in the New Testament. We often think of God in the Old Testament as angry or vindictive, but his disposition toward us is always mercy. It is only when we turn away from him that we suffer the consequences. Think of God's mercy, how he covered Adam and Eve's shame with the skin of a sacrificed animal. Or how God provided a mercy seat in the tabernacle where he would meet with his rebellious people. Or where once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sprinkle blood on it for the atonement of sin. Christ, in his mercy, gave his life to pay the price for our sin. And ultimately, in our eternal home, his mercy will wipe away all our tears. Mercy really is everywhere. It is who God is. And it flows out of his hesed love for us. We are soaked in mercy, even if we're not aware of it. I found it so interesting that the very first time God himself describes his character is found in Exodus 34 
And look what word he uses as the very first word to describe himself. This is when God called Moses up to Mount Sinai, where he passed in front of Moses and he declared his name. The Lord, the Lord, so that's Yahweh, Yahweh, the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It's interesting that this is the very first word to describe God, merciful. How wonderful is it that God is emotionally connected to us and that he is deeply moved with mercy. I think this truth is so important to understand. It really matters how we view God and how we view his disposition toward us. The other day I had a long conversation with a dear friend who said he does not believe that there is a God who loves him. And my heart really aches and aches for him to know how deeply and compassionately he is loved by the one whose very existence he denies. God is so merciful that he even loves and cares for those who reject him. There's a beautiful story in the Bible in 1 Kings 3 where two women both have given birth to babies, but one baby dies. So both women claim that the living child is theirs. So they come before King Solomon to settle the dispute. The king in his wisdom orders to have the baby cut in half and divide it between the two women. The woman who was not the real mother said, fine, Divide it, fine with me. But of course the woman whose child it was, the real mother, cried out in mercy to the king and said, no, Lord, have mercy. Give the child to the other woman. And of course, King Solomon in his wisdom through the compassion of the real mother, realized who the real mother was and gave her the baby back. She would have done anything to save her baby. As mothers, when our babies cry, we viscerally feel the pain. We feel every tiny little flutter or kick in our womb. The baby is part of us. It gets nourishment and strength and protection from us. What a beautiful and powerful picture of our God. Like a parent, he responds when we hear the child, when he hears the child cry, God responds to our cry. His disposition to us is mercy and compassion. He cares so deeply for each one of you like a parent. God is often depicted as a nursing mother in scripture. For example, here, after the Babylonian exile, when his people felt abandoned, God reassured them of his love with these words. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, 
I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God is often depicted as a loving parent. In Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And in Jeremiah, is not Ephraim a word here used for uh, Israel? My dear son, the child in whom I delight, though I often spoke against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him. Do you feel this uh, parent love for a child in God? Thankfully, we get a new dose of this mercy every single morning. It never runs out. Because of the Lord's great mercy, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In his mercy, God rescued his rebellious people over and over and over again when they cried out to him. Just think of the time of the judges, for example. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Maybe you remember this story when King David showed mercy to the merciless King Saul who hunted him. And remember that when David had a chance to actually kill his enemy in a cave, he showed mercy to him by only cutting a piece of his robe. David had every right to get vengeance on, his cruel, on this cruel man. But David decided to show mercy for God's sake. In the last few weeks on earth, Jesus overlooked the city of Jerusalem and he grieved. He said, oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Can you hear the cry, that compassion, that raham, that grace in Jesus' heart? Mercy always seeks to protect the object of its hesed love just as a mother protects her child, or a mother hen protects her chicks under her wings. Secondly, I want to show how mercy forgives. Mercy always comes at a cost. And nowhere is mercy in action more manifest than in the life and death of Jesus. Think of how many times Jesus showed mercy and deeply cared for those in need. He taught us by word and deeds about mercy. And mercy ultimately led him to the cross. 
the ultimate expression of mercy is Jesus entering into our suffering, forgiving us and rescuing us from the wages of sin, which is death. God did not give us what we deserved. He showed us mercy by withholding the punishment and taking it on himself by bearing the penalty of sin in his own body. But what about justice, you object? This seems unfair. I think it's so important to understand that justice and mercy are not opposites. We have a God of infinite justice and yet infinite mercy. Mercy doesn't mean that God does not deal with our sin. We still reap consequences of our actions. He still disciplines us because he disciplines those he loves. Just as a parent disciplines the child he or she loves. So God does not choose between justice or mercy, but he honors both of those. And nowhere do we see this better than on the cross. And this is so important to know, especially those of us who have been deeply, deeply hurt. We need to know this. There is justice and there is mercy. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. He still convicts us through the Holy Spirit. He lets us feel consequences, but he never ever turns away relationally from us. And only in Jesus at the cross can we see how God can be both just and merciful. Through his atonement on the cross, he satisfied both. He prayed the price to set us free. So extending mercy, hear me well, it doesn't mean to turn a blind eye to sin. It is more about the attitude that we have toward people. So you can still deal with the sin in a person's life, but be merciful toward the sinner. As we all know, life at times hurts and at times we hurt others. And what a gift to be treated with mercy in those times, instead of with payback and revenge, even if it's very subtle, like a cold shoulder or a gossipy word. I must say I have been convicted of using this subtle tool of payback in my own life it's much easier to turn away from somebody that hurts you than to extend mercy. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. We have a God who delights in mercy and forgiveness.
but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God is rich in mercy. And in Titus we read, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. It is nothing we have done to deserve or to earn it. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. We can see that forgiveness comes with suffering. The ultimate outpouring of mercy is the cross, where the one who had no sin became sin for us. I find it so beautiful that we can always run in repentance to our merciful high priest. I remember Joe White saying that many, many years ago in one of his sermons, run in repentance, and I never forgot it. I want to run in repentance to my merciful high priest. When we confess and repent, we always find mercy waiting for us. Proverbs 28 tells us that whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is such an interesting um, law of God that actually confessing sin brings life and mercy, but concealing and hiding it away and pretending and putting on a mask does not, is not life-giving. Hebrews 4 tells us, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God invites me and he invites you to come with all your baggage and all your struggles and all your pain to him. His disposition towards you is always mercy and love. You remember when King David cried for mercy and his cry echoes throughout the centuries. He had committed adultery and murder and it was only after the prophet Nathan confronted him when he finally broke down and confessed. Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Have mercy. This is probably the prayer I pray most. Lord, have mercy. And it's a cry we see throughout the Gospels as well. When people, when they encountered Jesus, Jesus cried out to him, have mercy. 
we see that it takes a turning away from sin and a turning towards God. Isaiah pleaded with his people, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to God and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. I love this picture of turning away from sin and turning to God where we will find mercy. I chose the parable of the unmerciful servant that uh, Claire read to us from Matthew 18 for this morning because I find it so vividly illustrates the picture of the foolishness of our unforgiveness towards others when we have been forgiven so much. Rabbinic tradition taught that a brother could be forgiven three times, but not four. So Peter, in Peter fashion, thought he could top that and said, should we forgive seven times? Jesus corrected him by telling him this outrageous story that we read in the beginning. So in Jesus' time, serious consequences awaited those who could not pay their debt. A person lending money could seize the borrower who would... uh, who could not pay and force him or his family to work until the debt was paid, or the debtor could be thrown into prison, or even sold into slavery. So in this parable, Jesus says, you were forgiven the equivalent of millions of dollars, and you can't forgive a few dollars? We have been forgiven so much, far more than we will ever be asked to forgive. And I also hear echoes of the story of the prodigal son in this parable, that scandalous, extravagant mercy of the father who throws a party for his wayward, undeserving younger son. Do you remember the reaction of the older brother? Sure. Let my brother come home. But to sackcloth, not a robe. I have kept all the rules. The older brother thought it was about bookkeeping keeping score. And I know that we also easily fall into this older son syndrome, counting offenses and relying on our own merit. I think uh, Tim Keller summarized it so beautifully, as he always does. He said, the gospel in a nutshell is this. You are more wicked than you ever dare to believe, and yet you are more loved and accepted in Jesus than you ever dared hope. And thirdly, I want to talk about mercy acts. So mercy is not 
some fluffy word meaning having pity on somebody or feeling bad. Mercy is an action word. Mercy is love in action. And as we've seen that God, or God is the father of all mercy, as his children made in his image, we are called to be a reflection of that mercy to the world around us. I found it very interesting to find that God incorporated provisions of mercy into the law. Remember in Deuteronomy 15, he provides for a year of canceling debt. He commands his people to cancel debt every seven years. He commands his people not to be hard-hearted and tight-fisted towards the poor, but to be open-handed and provide for those in need. Isn't that beautiful? As Philip Keller said, mercy is to care to the point where we are prepared, prepared to be involved with the suffering and adversities of others. It means getting our hands dirty. So how can we cultivate an attitude of mercy? As we all know, it does not come easily to us. And as Susan uh, so beautifully um, taught us last week, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. I think that the more we become aware of God's unbelievable mercy to us, and how much he has forgiven us, the more we can extend it freely and sacrificially to others. I think we are so used to treating life in terms of an economy of merit and of worthiness. We like to think in terms of what you deserve or what you don't deserve, but that's not God's way. Uh, I love this quote by Swoboda. He said, a God of grace will endlessly frustrate those who've built their lives upon an economy of merit. We see Jesus constantly clashing with the scorekeeping religious elite of his time. They were outraged by his scandalous behavior of hanging out with the losers, forgiving the undeserving, celebrating the overlooked, canceling huge debts, throwing a party for a sin-reeked son. That's all very unreasonable, unless we understand the mercy of God flowing out of his love and compassion as a good, good father. Jesus ends this parable with these words. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? What God gives to us, he wants to go through us. When we hoard gifts that God gives us, it makes us constipated and stagnant. But God wants rivers of living water to flow from us. God is merciful to us and wants it to flow through us to others. Be merciful just as your father also is merciful. 
I think you would agree with me that we need mercy today more than ever. Just think of our political discourse, where personal attacks are preferred over finding solutions together. And the you versus us dichotomy is rampant. Or think of our social media, where exposing and canceling people is in style. Or even driving. God have mercy if your car is delayed for a nanosecond at a red light. And of course, the state of our world, where mercy is seen as weakness and retaliation as strength. We are all called to extend mercy into our broken and hurting world. Paul uses an interesting picture. In Colossians, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What if we spent more time every morning clothing ourselves with mercy, asking God for practical ways we can extend mercy. Reflecting Jesus, as is our statement, if we want to reflect Jesus well to the wor world, we need to be merciful. I want to leave you with some practical ideas of what mercy might look like, and please add to the list. Mercy is being kind to the person who annoys you. I find that really hard. Do you? Mercy is taking the first step to reconcile a damaged relationship, not waiting for the other person. Mercy refrains from subtle payback in the form of gossip. Proverbs puts it so well, one who conceals an offense seeks love, but one who repeats a matter separates close friends. We always have the choice between concealing an offense or repeating it to others. Mercy is giving time and energy to those who cannot repay us. I find it easy to help friends and people I like. But it's much harder to extend mercy to those we think don't deserve it. Mercy is welcoming the refugee, is feeding the hungry. Mercy is correcting someone gently and privately. Mercy is being patient with the elderly. Mercy is letting go of a grudge and forgive. How will you show mercy this week? The mandate is very clear. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, 
to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Mercy protects, mercy forgives, and mercy acts. Let's pray. Father, we turn to you to grab hold of your mercy found in Jesus, our Savior. Thank you that you are merciful with our brokenness. You are not a scorekeeping God. How foolish to think we somehow earned or deserve your favor. Father, forgive us our pride. All is a gift. All that is good is ours, not by a right, but by the sheer bounty of a merciful and gracious God. We have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Holy Spirit, we invite you to make us a vehicle of your mercy to others who so desperately need to experience the soul-saving grace of God. May our hearts become so mercy-soaked that we will freely and gladly extend your undeserved, scandalous mercy to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.